Welcome to the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit, a series of 15 podcasts that present different aspects of a vegan lifestyle from some of the most prominent thought leaders in veganism. Perhaps you want to learn how to be a better advocate for animals. Maybe you want to feel confident about raising your family on a plant-based diet. Proudly sponsored by VegFund, the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit's for you. Hello and welcome to the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit. I'm your host, Emma Leticia, and in this podcast, we're talking to Kimberly Espinal from The Little Plantation. If you've ever wanted to start a food, vegan food blog or a vegan food styling business, Kimberly's definitely the lady to watch. Not only is she a plant-based food blogger based in London, England, she also works as a food photographer, stylist, and food photography teacher. You sound very busy, Kimberly. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for making the time. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> now, I've got so much that I want to um, chat to you about, so I'm just going to get stuck straight in if that's okay. I'm sure there's a, quite a few listeners wondering, how exactly can you make blogging a career? Perhaps they've dabbled a bit with blogging before. How can you make this a financially viable situation where you can quit your nine to five and become a full-time blogger? So I would say two things to that. The first is, and I'm speaking from personal experience, so it might be different for everyone, right? But for me, it was a very gradual transition. So I first started my blog as a hobby whilst I was still working. And then as it happened, I got asked to do some sponsored content posts and, you know, styling gigs and, and it just grew so that very gradually over the course of whatever, three years, I think, was like a side hustle really. And it was really once I was able to earn a certain level of income that I felt able and confident to hand in my notice with my nine to five. So, you know, it was a very gradual transition. And then secondly, as to how to actually make it happen and and maintain it, for me, it's really been about having multiple income sources. So really, I would say not to put my eggs in one basket, but to have lots of different places where and how I make money. So for example, through influencer marketing, influencer content creation, then I teach online and in person. I also have digital products like my presets and an e-guide. And so, you know, having lots of different ways that you can make an income. So if one thing doesn't come through, then you've got other things to balance them out. Mm, yeah, that's very important advice. So you were quite sensible about, you know, taking the leap from having a steady nine to five to becoming a full-time blogger. But even though you were quite prepared, were there some fears and kind of practicalities that you still had to overcome? So I was in a very lucky position for one that I'd been working. I was a social worker before, actually. I worked as an adoption social worker and I was in the field of social work for more than 15 years. And I'm married. And so I had some financial savings. And also my husband's income means that, you know, with his income, we can pay the bills and we can stay afloat. So I have to put that out there and just that I had that, I had that cushion, so to speak, that made you know, some of that transitioning a little bit easier. But for me, actually, the fear 
were more around my identity, mm. I think. You know, I never thought that I wouldn't be in an office doing having a nine to five. I never thought that I wouldn't be taking orders from somebody else. I never thought I'd be in the driver's seat and all the emotional ups and downs that come with running your own show, that redefining myself and who I was in the world. That was the biggest fear for me. It was more about, you know, I've studied so hard to do what I do and you know, now at a more senior role and that's my identity. That's who I am. And now suddenly I'm creating stuff and photographing food? Is that even like a real job? Is that even a respectable thing to do? Like what are the other moms at the school kid going to say? That kind of thing, right? Yeah. So it was more that, that identity, that redefining myself, which I think that was really what took me so long to hand in my nine to five is that that's where my fear was. And also then, of course, you know, is this going to be viable long term? And is Instagram even going to be around? And will anybody read blogs in 10 years time? I mean, there was that too. Mm. But it was more about defining myself, I think. Mm, Yeah, that's really interesting. And you hear that so much with other entrepreneurs that is one of the biggest stumbling blocks, you know, the the doubt or the the wanting to to know how you're going to show up and present yourself in the world. Yeah. For me, the bigger fear ultimately, which is why I did hand in my nine to five, was not trying, you know, mm-hmm. not at being on my deathbed as it were and be like, oh, I wish I'd tried it, you know. And so what I did is I said, I'm going to try this for 12 months. And if it doesn't work, I can always go back. Like it wasn't as if my job or a similar job wasn't going to be there. And I I think really for most of us, unless we have like the most amazing job ever, there's always going to be that possibility to go back if it doesn't work out. And so, you know, that's how I overcame my fears. Just like, well, it's probably even worse not to try. And so that's how it happened. Well, that leads me quite nicely into my next question for you. What was the point where you suddenly thought, okay, yes, this is definitely going to work. Did you have a point like that? Not really. I think it's a little bit of a myth to think that there's ever a point where you have certainty as a freelancer or as somebody who runs their own business. I don't think that point ever comes. It's a constant thing about what can I do today to make sure that I still have money coming in tomorrow and in two months time and in three months time. Like it's this constant thing. You can never rest on your laurels. So I don't ever feel like, oh my God, I've got it sorted out. I've got to figure it out because things are always changing, you know? So you have to adjust and adapt. And if you fall, stand up. And yeah, so I don't think there's like a moment where I just feel like, oh yeah, this is it. You know, I'm constantly working to make it work. I think that's part of being a creative person as well, isn't it? You're always looking for the next idea, the next thing to keep you going and keep you creating. Yes. And I, what I didn't realize, and I think, you know, over time I've gotten to understand that more is part of being freelance is that you have to know how to deal with ebbs and flows. And if you have a period that is quieter or where you're not getting the calls that you want or the jobs that you want, that you kind of sit down and and assess what am I doing wrong? What can I change? How can I rephrase things to ensure that I get more work or whatever it is? Like it's this constant problem solving. Mm. Yeah, that's just part and parcel of running your own show, I guess. Yeah. We'll talk about 
how you support other people to do that a little later on. But if people are thinking about getting started in food photography or food blogging, what kind of basic equipment and or software would they need to invest in? So I think to if you want to start on a budget, to be honest, you can use whatever smartphone you have. In fact, my most favorite food photographer, she's a smartphone photographer, so she doesn't use camera at all. She uses her phone and you can take gorgeous shots just with your phone. And then in terms of editing, what I would really recommend just because it's really simple to use and quite intuitive is Lightroom. And again, if you're using your phone, there's a free Lightroom app that you can download onto your phone to edit your photos. That's free. And then there's the paid for version, which has a couple of you know, extra settings and extra things that you can do. But there's also stuff like Snapseed and I think VSCO do a couple of free things too. So there's lots of free stuff out there. So if you just want to start dipping your toes in the water, you don't really have to spend anything and just work with what you have. If you want to take the next step, I really think it's worth investing in some really nice props actually because they make such a big difference Mm. in your photography. So I would do that, maybe get a couple of antique spoons, forks, that sort of thing, and maybe one or two nice ceramic bowls and plates that don't have that gloss on them that are quite matte. Those were the first couple of things that I spent money on that I felt was worth it. And then after that, I did invest in a DSLR, which I can definitely recommend, but I got a secondhand one, just a really simple secondhand one. And I used the kit lens first and then the 50 millimeter 1.8, which is under 100 pounds. So um, I'm not sure how much that is, you know, across the, the world, but it's affordable. I really feel it was a very affordable way to start. So I think those would be kind of my, yeah, what I would recommend people start out with. Oh, fantastic. And in terms of branding yourself, what advice yeah. can you give to others about finding their own uniqueness? How can they create a brand and a food blog that stands out from the crowd? Yeah. So, you know, I think about this a lot because a lot of the food photography students and bloggers that I work with ask that. And so I was thinking, you know, how can I formulate it in the best possible way? So I think for one is really practice. It's really hard if you don't pick up your camera or your iPhone or whatever regularly to understand what makes your heart beat faster. So if you create something and you feel really good about it, you know, take note and look at why you feel good about it. Is it because it's super colorful and that makes you really happy or is it kind of dark and moody and and do you feel drawn to that? So I think only through trial and error can you really identify what you're drawn to and what, what you love and creating what you love and doing it in your way makes you unique. I think the second thing is really about not trying to look too much at what other people are doing and focusing on how you want to express yourself and getting inspiration from nature or you know somewhere that isn't Instagram necessarily and just yeah expressing yourself in the way that you want to and being as honest and authentic as you can be. And I think captions and if you're writing a blog, actually writing your thoughts and feelings 
you know, in the most genuine way possible, I think is a really good way to be unique because nobody thinks like you and nobody expresses themselves quite the way that you do. So I think those are really good ways to start. And then if you're brave enough, I really always advocate for people showing their faces in their Instagram feed, on their blog, in the Instagram stories, because obviously, unless you've got a clone running around or something, <laughs> there's nobody that is you. We often get shy about showing ourselves, but don't have to exaggerate it, but maybe once every five or 10 posts, just stopping by and saying hi, I think can be really, really powerful. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. We talked a little bit about what kind of equipment you need to use starting off. So a smartphone and the editing software apps that you can get are fantastic. But can anyone be a photographer? Because, you know, you can kind of hold the camera and, and snap a photo. What makes a photo go from just being okay to being fantastic? Like somebody sees it and I really want to make that or that's the most beautiful photo I've ever seen. Yeah. So for me, it's two things. One is the photographer's understanding of light and well, actually light and shadow and how to balance and play with both. I think the people whose photos we tend to respond to most are the ones that have a really good understanding of how light and shadow works and how you can manipulate it and how you can, you know, evoke emotions through it. So I would say that's really what makes a good photographer exceptional. And for me, and this is very, very personal. So it might be somebody, you know, if you ask somebody else, they would say something different. But for me, it's really about moving people, creating emotion, telling story that goes beyond the draw factor. I think that's really, you know, when you see a photo and you kind of just sigh because it's so beautiful or transports you to a particular time or place or you just wish you were there or just, you know, stir something. And it's really often the exceptional photographers that are able to do that. And that comes with practice. And again, I think it also comes with your ability to listen to what makes your heart sing, you know, really tuning into how you feel and then putting that into a picture. And those are the two skills that really set amazing photographers apart from from everybody else. Mm, That's lovely. I know you've said you use uh, Instagram as a business lead generator and also as a second portfolio, which I think is a fantastic idea. You also teach people how to succeed on Instagram through your courses. In your experience, what's the number one mistake that food bloggers are making on the Instagram platform? Oh, can I rephrase that and say maybe my three top tips? Okay, yeah, sure. Let's make it positive. (laughs) So I would say, you know, now that Instagram is what it is, one billion users, there's so many people creating content. I always say to my students, good isn't good enough. So we're really practicing to make your photos or take your photos from good, exceptional. And that comes through regularly picking up your phone or your camera, whichever one you're using and practicing and practicing and practicing. So that would be tip number one. My tip number two would be to put thought and intention into your captions. So I always, I mean, you can make 
your Instagram what you want it to be, right? Like you could say, this is a chocolate cake. It was delicious and move on with your day. But I think using captions to stir people, to create some sort of discussion, debate, to create community, to again, show your authentic self, I think can be really powerful. And so lots of people are a little bit shy about expressing their thoughts and views or asking questions. You know, they feel a little bit self-conscious, but I think if you overcome that and really actually start a discussion or debate or what have you, or just share thoughts and feelings, that will take you two steps ahead of everybody else. Mm. And then thirdly, I think Instagram and the people who succeed on Instagram are really the ones who add value. And value can be that you entertain people. Value can be that you teach people how to make a recipe. It can be so many things, but really thinking through how your content is going to make a positive difference in someone's life. And those three factors, that's really the magic cocktail to make it work on Instagram. (laughs) That's wonderful advice. Do you have any other just general tips and hints that you would give any aspiring food photographers aside from the Instagram platform? Yes. So I would really say if you want to be a food photographer, I think it's really, really important that you have a website or a blog where you, because Instagram, certain photos work really well on Instagram, but I'd invite you to experiment with other things that perhaps you don't post on Instagram, but you still have as an online portfolio as well. That's a little bit different and to work on your SEO so that you can be found and so that people can hire you to do jobs. And I would say, especially if you're just starting out, not to be too specific with your style. So try lots of different things. Try the dark and beauty try the light and bright, try colorful, try more subdued, you know, show your range. And that's what I recommend. Mm, Fantastic. And you've got a whole load of resources on your extremely beautiful website. Um, (laughs) What can people find at the Little Plantation? So my most popular thing is one is something called the Instagram series. And that's really one of my most popular blog posts that I do. It's stuff around what's working on Instagram, you know, how to decipher the algorithms, how to create ads on Instagram, like anything you'd ever wanted to know about Instagram. I've probably written a blog post about it and saved it in my Instagram series, which you can find on the blog. I also share lots of plant-based recipes and I've been doing that now for five years. So there's quite a bit of recipe content on there. So yeah, definitely check that out. And then finally, I have a lots of details as well about food photography. So food photography tips around how to make and source your own backdrops, how to find the right food photography props to what lenses to use, the whole shebang. So it's all on there. Okay, fantastic. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Kimberly, thank you so much for being our guest and sharing your pearls of wisdom with us. I know I've learned a lot. So if you'd like to learn more about Kimberly's work, the services she offers, and check out her amazing recipes and food photography, make sure you click on the link for Kimberly's bio in today's email, where you'll find details of her website and social media channels. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the One Bite Vegan Summit. Remember, one bite is all it takes to make a change. 
Thank you for listening and being part of the One Bite Vegan Summit. Be sure to keep up to date with the latest One Bite Vegan online events and free resources, including the One Bite Vegan blog and digital magazine, by connecting with us via our website, onebitevegan.com. Remember, one bite is all it takes to make a change.